I'm starting the series this morning, Family Games, and, and I understand that there's, there's a three-book series that's very popular uh, among people. It's, it's, it was written, I think, for teens. I'm not pre- pretend that I've read it or that I've seen the movie, but I understand that the theme is apocalyptic and the people are, you might say, trying to survive. And, and there's a lot of destruction, young people on young people, and they're trying to eat and survive. Well, in, in today's world, quite frankly, as I, as I approach this and I approach teachings or, or sermons, whatever you want to call this morning, on families, I, I think in terms of that sometimes we do, we are pretty destructive to the, the, the people that we love and care about, and we do that in the name of sometimes of personal survival. It's not, this is not new. It's funny, the very, the very people who will give you the most are the ones you often will turn against and have difficulties with. There's a statement that if I said you can choose your friends, I want you to re- I want you to, to to fill in the blanks here. You can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family or relatives. Right? <laughs> you can't choose your family. That's true. All right. You're born into your family, and like it or not, they're your family. Okay. There's a story I want to talk to you about, and it's about the story of Joseph. Many of you are, are pretty biblically literate, so you know the story, but let me just run over it quickly. Jacob was dad, and God changed his name to Israel uh, when he had a, a personal encounter with him. He had 12 sons and at least one daughter, two uh, by his wives, Leah and Rachel. Now they were sisters, so he was married to two sisters. And that, if that wasn't enough, he had children by their female slaves, Bilhah and Zilpah. Now, I, I could just stop there and say, guys, we've got to work on this, okay? I don't know if anybody, uh, you know, I, I know that there's a, a whole lot of, like, wanton looking in the world today. And, and, uh, and, and there are probably people out there who say, wow, they had more than one wife? Wow, that's cool. Uh, and, and that's what they're thinking. And I'm thinking, it ne- come on now, let's be realistic. Even when it was okay, it didn't work out that well. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I mean, <laughs> talking about biting off more than you can chew. And then to marry sisters, too. It's like, okay, it's like, it's a, guy's a glutton for punishment. Okay, but we won't, we won't, I won't stay there very long, but, but, but they, the, the, the children were, the boys were named Reuben, uh, Simeon. Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, uh, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulon, uh, the daughter was named Dinah, uh, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now, um, you've heard of those names before. Ultimately, they became, you might say, the roots for the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Perhaps that's why God renamed uh, Jacob Israel. So he was building a nation. We understand that, okay? Joseph... Uh, the son of, uh, of, of Jacob, or Israel, and Rachel. Now, remember, if you know the story, you know that, that, uh, that Jacob really liked Rachel better than he liked Leah. Okay? And so, uh, initially, Rachel was barren, and finally, God gave her a child, and, and so Joseph was, a, almost the, was the baby at the time, and he became dad's favorite. You know what happens in a family where it's evident that dad or mom have a favorite, okay? 
Uh, The sibling rivalry, which is there, naturally just goes into hyperdrive, okay? All right, and so that's what happened. And that uh, when Joseph was 17 years old, he had a couple of dreams. And the dreams went something like this, and he was foolish enough at 17, I mean, you know, to, to reveal his dreams. He said, look, we were, he, he told his brothers, we were, we were all, we were, I dreamt we were all out in the, out, out in the field and we were, we were cutting uh, uh, grain and we were building sheaves and my sheaf, uh, all, all your sheaves bowed down to my sheaf. Okay. How to win friends and influence people. Tell your brothers, your older brothers, that one of these days you're going to bow down to me. And that was their, their response exactly. And now, then he saw, and then he had another dream where uh, 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 all the stars and the moon and the sun uh, uh, bowed down to, to his star. Okay? And so, dad even got in and says, so, so you're telling me, son, that your mother and I and your brothers are going to bow down to you? Yeah, that's what the dream says. Okay? So he's building in some problems already. Not, not, not a good thing. But, but the interesting thing is Jacob, at least, even if he was offended, uh, Jacob, uh, it says he kind of treasured those and kind of yeah, filed that away. He was smart enough to know that God was alive and active in this, in this whole thing. Okay, and uh, all right. So uh, Joseph's half brothers—they were jealous of him, and they plotted to kill him. And, and I'm, I'm speaking—you uh, know—I'm I'm condensing chapter Genesis 37, 38, 39, 40, and so on. Okay, if you want to read this story, it's a great read, and you need to do it. Um, and so they were jealous of him, and they plotted to kill him. Now there was a, the eldest brother was named Reuben. He says, "Guys, don't do it. I don't want you to kill him. How about we just put him in a pit?" We just put him in a pit. And so he was away, and along, they're out, they're out and about, and they're, they're father, following their father's sheep and taking care of the goats and stuff. And uh, dad sends Joseph out to, care, to, to see about his brothers. They, they, they'd been traveling a long distance, and so he finds them. They see him coming from a distance, and they said, there he is, that dreamer. Uh, and, and so they, they hatch this plot, and so Reuben's not there. Evidently, from the context of the passage, he's not there. So when, uh, when Joseph comes, they take off his coat, which was kind of a, a multicolored thing that dad had woven for him, special, okay, symbol of, of his favoriteness. Is that a word? Favoriteness? Okay. Anyway, and they put him in this pit. And, and they're, they're, they're wondering what to do, and they've got his coat and stuff, and, and then they look up, and there's some Ishmaelites. And if you, if you know Bible history, those are kind of long-lost cousins. And there's, it's a wagon train, not a wagon train, but a camel train. A, and they said, hey, they hatched a plan. How about we, we don't kill him? We just sell him, sell him to these Ishmaelites, and that's what they did. Reuben comes back. In the meantime, the kid's not in the pit. And he goes ballistic, said, what, 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 what have you done? What have you done? And they told him. And, and so they took his coat. They, they had sold Joseph into, into this thing. And they took his coat and tore it up like a, like a beast had attacked him on the way and put some, killed a goat or something and put some blood on it and went back and showed, hey, Dad. we And, of course, Dad was just heartbroken. He was his favorite. Heartbroken. Well, um, interesting. Male goat blood. 
I, I, my hunch is that um, Jacob knew what the difference was. And so anyway, they, the, the Ishmaelites took, uh, took Joseph and went to Egypt, and they sold him to a gentleman by the name of Potiphar, and he was in charge of the Pharaoh's guards. Okay, so you've got to get the picture here. Pharaoh, uh, he's the big king, and the, the captain of the guard, Potiphar, and he buys this slave, this Hebrew slave. And everything that, that Joseph did really worked out. In other words, and, and the cool thing is that Potiphar was smart enough to say, hey, everything that guy touches is good. Eventually, Joseph, he put Joseph in charge of his whole house, running everything. It said, the scripture said that the only thing that, that, that Potiphar did was he dealt with, he ate his own food. And so Joseph was in charge of everything. And so, uh, and, and God was blessing his house. Blessing his house. It was just, everything was really working well. And, and, and Potiphar realized that. But um, Potiphar's wife, now she was another, she was a piece of work. <laughs> now Potiphar was gone. And, and so uh, she, she began to desire this young Hebrew slave. And she, for, for days, went after him and wanted him to, to lie with her and to have, have a sexual uh, relations with her. And, and he kept resisting. Finally, he said, look, your husband's given me everything. I, I'm not going to do this. And she got a hold of his, of his jacket, and he just walked right out of his jacket and left it right there. I mean, that's, that's a good lesson. We could stop right there and say, guys, sometimes you just need to be willing to leave it all behind and run for your life. And I think that's not a bad thing when it comes to sin, period. Run for your life. Run. Run. There's danger. Well, uh, you know, he got trapped into this thing, as a, and she was offended, so she told everybody that he tried to force himself on her. And so not only had he been a slave for Potiphar, now Potiphar gets angry and throws him into the dungeon, into the prison for take, trying to take advantage of his wife. Now, he's innocent, but he's there, okay? How, do, how would you feel? I mean, have you ever been innocent, but you were being punished? So you know, what's, you know what, are, what, are the, what are some of the internal things you can go through? You can get really angry and bitter, right? Justified? Plot revenge? Okay? You can do all those things. You could, be an, uh, you could become an ugly person. But here's what happened in the, in the dungeon. The dungeon keeper, the jailer, began to realize God was blessing everywhere he went, blessing his prison. He put Joseph eventually in charge of the prison. You know, this guy was, I don't know what, it, what is, uh, you know, the, the business people would give him a personality profile that says, man, just a top runner. But everything he touched was blessed. And then while he was in prison, these two, uh, the, the chief baker and the chief... Uh, the, the, the cupbearer uh, were thrown in, uh, thrown in there too, and, and, and they were going to be on trial. And they, they had these dreams, and uh, Joseph interpreted the dreams and told the baker that, that, that ultimately that the fair was going to reinstate him. And he told the baker, or he told, no, he told the cupbearer he'd be reinstated, and the baker that he was going to hang in three days. And that's exactly what happened. And the cupbearer, he told the cupbearer, he says, Look, I'm innocent. You know, remember what I've done for you when you get back up there around the Pharaoh. Well, he forgot about it. Then the Pharaoh had a couple of dreams. 
And the dreams went like this. I saw seven, seven really ugly cows. And, and they consumed, and then another seven, they consumed, the ugly cows consumed the other ones. Then I saw some corn, seven, seven ears of corn, and another seven ears of corn. And the, and the, uh, the first set of corns, uh, you might say, devoured the second set of corn. And he says, I don't know what this means. And, they, and the baker, or the, the cupbearer says, I know somebody who interprets dreams. And so they called him in. And he says, and, and, and he explains his dream to Joseph, and Joseph said, God's letting you know what he's getting ready to do. And he talks about there's going to be seven really great years uh, to harvest. Seven great farming years, followed by seven years of famine. And he's letting you know what he's going to do. This is of God, he's saying. He says, what you need to do is you need to put somebody in charge of all of Egypt and put it all together and start taking a fifth and, and beginning to store it. So when the seven fam- uh, difficult co- years come, you're going to have some food. Is that good information just for, for today? Yeah, okay, it is. Well, that was what was going on there. And, and the Pharaoh looked around and says, I don't know of anybody better than you to do it. You know, that's like the guy who, who comes up with the idea. You go do it. And so he made him second in command. I mean, this is, this is like... How does this happen? He made this man second in command of all of Egypt. Gave him a chariot, gave him a wife. And and in fact, uh, Joseph said in in, in the scripture, he says, God has made me to forget the the difficulties of my past. (laughs) And okay, during the, um, but the famine was, was worldwide, their little world there. And so, Guess who got afflicted by the famine? Well, his brothers and family back there in, in Canaan land. And so there, uh, and, and dad says, okay, we understand that there's food in Egypt. We know that there's food in Egypt. Guess who's in charge of the food in Egypt? Joseph's in charge of the food in Egypt. Okay? This has been about 13 years now. I think he was 17, and now he's about, he was about 30 when he, when he was, you might say, lifted up to be the second in command. So, okay, so this is about, the, this is, the, and so, so 13 years have passed. Things have changed. He's changed. He looks like he's dressed, he's haircut and everything, just like an Egyptian. Things were different. And so in walks this ragged, dusty group of, uh, of Hebrews saying, look, we've come to buy food. And uh, I'll just try to make this story short. He gives them food, sends them back, but he's, he's messing with them. He's, he says, You're, he's, he knows who they are. They don't know who he is. And so he grabs one of them and says, we're going to keep this one, uh, I believe it was Simeon, and I'm going to keep him as a slave until you guys come back and bring your, your, my younger brother. Or not my younger brother, they don't know who he is yet, but your younger brother. And they're, they're, they're just pulling their hair out because Jacob's not going to like this. Dad's not going to like this. He's already lost one son, and the guilt is just eating him alive because they're, say, they're speaking among themselves. They don't know that he understands them, so they're speaking in Hebrew, and, this is, and they're looking at each other and pointing fingers. I told you that, that, that you shouldn't do, should have done that to Joseph. Now we're reaping the benefits or the, or the, or the damage of all of that. 
says, we're guilty and we deserve this. And they say, oh, how are we going to get out of this? And so they go back, they take the food. I'm leaving some of the things, parts of the story out. They take the food and then uh, eventually it runs down. And they finally talk Jacob into sending Benjamin, the younger son. So they get there and they bring him. Okay? And I believe that's where the scripture picks up. They're in there before him. And he's giving them a hard time. And he's looking at them. He's fed them. He's done some things. And Genesis 45, that's a long prelude to the service, right? That's a... Genesis 45, it says this. Then Joseph could not control himself before those uh, who who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out from me so that there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaohs heard it, heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer them because they were dismayed at his appearance. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom whom you sold into Egypt. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For famine has been in these lands two years, and there are still five more years in which there will be neither planting nor harvest. See, God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he's made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father and say to them, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. Powerful story. Now, I, want you, I just want to share this, about four or five quick things here. Just the first thing is, now, he had all the pharaohs go out. Or all all the Egyptians go out, not the pharaohs. Before he revealed himself to his brothers. Now, there are some people who believe that the way he revealed himself is that he undressed. And they saw that he was circumcised. That's raw. It's in your face. But it's real. Revealed himself. And of course they were afraid. But he over those periods of all those. Now couldn't have he gotten very, very angry and bitter. I spoke of that before. And isn't that kind of natural when things don't go well. And you're being unjustly uh, uh, dealt with or persecuted. Or, or, you know, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Somewhere in the depths of those in those in the depths of those prisons, somewhere in the midst of the of the servitude that he endured, he learned some lessons and he saw very clearly and he came to the conclusion it was not you who sent me here, it was God. 
Could we walk in that kind of faith? When difficulties that, uh, that are of, not of our own making surround us and hem us in, can we not walk in that kind of faith and say that God is the God of today and he knows my name and he knows where I am and he's working in my life even in this. The first thing to remember when those things happen, keep your integrity. Remember who you are. Many of you are Christians, and I'm speaking to you. You've been, you've been bought with a price. You've given your heart to Jesus. You've experienced life change. You, call, you go by the name of Christian believer. Not by the name of an Assemblies of God or a Methodist or a Baptist. You know, just shove that aside. I am a follower of Jesus. I've given my life to him. Keep your, when, when difficulties and things that you don't understand, inju- unjust things, things that are beyond the pale, begin to happen in your life, and they will. Keep your integrity. What's your, what, what do I mean by that? What, what, would, what, what does God, how does God want me to live? How does he want me to respond? I, I see scriptures as if they strike you on your left cheek, offer the right. If they give you, if you, they force you to carry their, 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 their load a mile, carry it too. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. See, those, are, those cut against our sense of justice. Keep your integrity. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. There is a normal, normal desire for justice. I know that. I know that. The second thing that you need to remember, and I need to remember, and we all need to remember, is that God has a plan for your life. You're just not hacking down the road, just, uh, just like a tumbleweed, blowing wherever the wind blows. The scripture is very clear. He says, I have called you. I know your name. The footsteps of the righteous are what? Ordered by me, by the Lord. See, everything that I see is that God, now he says, look, his eyes are on the sparrow, as a song says, but that's, that's just a uh, reference to a scripture that says, not one sparrow drops without God's sight and acknowledgement. And you're much, much, much greater and much more valuable than sparrows. I don't care where you've been, what your name is, what your color is, what your family tree is like. You are far more valuable. And just because you can't count from 1 to 200 doesn't mean God can't. Just because you can't juggle everything like that, that doesn't mean that God can't. He says he knows who you are. He says... He, his eye is on you. And that everything in Scripture tells me that he has a plan for your life. I mean, I don't know about you. You may not even know what the plan is. In fact, there's always a mystery. I, I imagine that Joseph wasn't sure. But there, there's a little bit of trust. There's a little bit of standing. Not only in your integrity, but in the acknowledgement that God does have a plan for me. And as I serve him, he will reveal it and he will bring me to that place. Is that biblical or not? 
think I'm just making this up. The one of the scriptures does say, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. What other is, what, 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 is there another way? I mean, I suppose there are other ways to humble yourselves, but, but acknowledging and saying, God, you said vengeance is yours. You got it. I'm not going to seek my own justice. Oh, I want justice. God, I cry out for it. I need it inside. But, but, but God, what do you want me to do? I'm here. I acknowledge you. I trust you. God has a plan for your life. He will exalt you. The, the, the third thing is, is you've got to remember, you're not the only one that God is trying to save. Did you know that? That there are people in your life that he has set you as his light in a dark place. Did he not say you are the light of the world? That he has set you as a light in a dark place and that there are people who are watching you. I'm reminded of a passage of scripture that David said, I, I cried to the Lord from the, the deep miry clay. I was stuck. And he heard my cry. He listened to my plea. And he got a hold of me. And he set my feet upon a rock. He lifted me up out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock. And he put a new song in my heart. And it's not over there. He said, many shall see that. And will come and glorify God. You are not in this alone. You are not the only person in God's big plan where you're a part of it. You're not the only person that's, that, that God's trying to save. There are people who are watching you. And as you keep your integrity, as you walk in trust, as you walk in faith, those who that you wouldn't even expect are looking upon you and taking their lead. I had a conversation with someone recently that even today, in 2012, I get calls and, 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 and emails and stuff from people that I don't even remember. Now, I wasn't living a perfect life for Jesus. But every once in a while, one of those will pop to the surface and say, I'm saved now. Back then, I didn't know God, didn't want to know God, but there was something that God, that was, you know, they're, they're filtering this through their own knowledge, but there was something. There was something in your life. But me, it was Jesus. The final thing is, and we're talking about family right now, right? I talked about family. How many of us know that families fight all the time? (laughs) Turmoil. Turmoil. Some, Some are almost... Broken, you would in your own mind. This is broken beyond repair. We can't fix it. We can't fix it. Fix Peggy. We can't fix uh, Johnny. He's just beyond it. In every family, there can be at least you as a catalyst for healing. <laughs> a catalyst for healing. You've maintained your integrity. You've forgiven. You've loved. I mean. 
Can't you see that God has a bigger plan? And that you play a role in the fan, in the in, in, in the world is tearing itself apart. Families are tearing themselves apart. Look, you're trying to survive in some kind of a hacked up way of life. And, and in the in the meantime, they're destroying each other. God often will put you as a catalyst for healing in your own family. That takes humility. The first thing he did is he disrobed, revealed himself for who he was. He owned them. He forgave them. And said, God's got a plan, and I was a part of the plan, and so are you. <laughs> you know, I, you know I, if, we, if we talk about family games, it's the game, uh, you know, we're, we don't have a problem with, with self-destruction, you know. We're good at that. But God has a plan for healing. God has a plan for healing. It always involves forgiveness. It always involves pushing aside the wrongs and embracing the the one who has done wrong. Music, healer. I know we're running later than I normally do, but I wanted you to hear these things today. Stand with me, please. I don't know if you need healing in your family. I want you to think about your family today. And I know that, that, that maybe you've been maligned and mistreated, unjustly dealt with. That's just, that's almost standard fare for family, isn't it? <laughs> and we want justice. But God's got a plan. He's trying to save. And he has put his spirit within you. Not, be, not just because He loves you and you're special and all that, but He has placed you where you are. And you'll be a light on a hill and a catalyst for healing in that family. But you only, you're only there when you submit to Him. Give Him the right of retribution. Give Him the right of ju- Judgment. Love and embrace. Let's, let's pray. Let's worship. This altar is open for anyone who wants to pray for their family. Healing in their family. Whatever that need is. We really hurt each other. We do. If there's going to be somebody to speak peace into the storm, why shouldn't it be the followers of Jesus? If it's going to be someone, if there's going to be someone who will step across the aisle, who will create a, who will build a bridge, and in and and in and in and in self-deprivation lay it out, it will be a believer. It will be you. It will be me. Let's worship Him and pray for your families. I, there's probably there's. Every family in this place needs some, somebody needs healing. Something. Amen? Let's pray for our families. Just one final piece of good news. If he's made you the catalyst, 
One thing you'll know is that you're not helpless. That he's given us something that we can do. I know it defies the world's system, how things are done. But his way has changed the world. Not only has it changed the world, he's changed you. <laughs> and he lets us, lets you and I, participate in changing the world. Not only one, one person at a time, but one family. Amen? Amen? Thank you for coming and being a part of our service this morning. Amen.